We all know the damage that fires are capable of. What we don't always understand is the cause, behavior, and what to do in the aftermath of a fire. Today, you'll understand these aspects just a little bit more. Welcome to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. We will give you tips on fire prevention, how to deal with insurance matters, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Donna and Mike. Hi, and welcome to Speaking of Fire. This is uh, your host, Mike Slatman. I have uh, 45 years of experience as an expert fire investigator, and I am a past president of the International Association of Arson Investigators. And my co-host is Donna Ingram. And I have almost 30 years experience in insurance, the insurance industry and insurance fraud, and we're glad that you're here with us. Thank you for being here. Now, um, I wanted to say bonjour again to our, our friends in uh, in uh, in uh, France and also konnichiwa to our, uh, our listeners in Japan. Um, we're honored today to have uh, my friend, uh, Joe Toscano. He is an internationally recognized expert and lecturer in fire investigations, and uh, he's been involved in all aspects of the field of fire investigation and case management, case management for over 40 years. He, uh, his expertise is like in origin and cause, large loss investigations, management, curriculum development, claim division, SIU training, and subrogation and fraud uh, investigations. He's a recognized expert witness in both federal and state um, courts and after, after 20 years in law enforcement, joined the American Reinsurance Company, uh, retiring in 2003 as a, a vice president. He's a past president, uh, I'm sorry, a past recipient of the International uh, Investigators of the Year Award from the International Association of Arson Investigators and is a life member uh, of, of that organization and the Connecticut chapter of the IAAI. He's also on uh, the IAAI Training and Education, FISC, and CFI Trainer Steering Committees. Joe, uh, welcome, first of all. Are you there? Thank you, Mike. Hey, thanks. Uh, you know, after all of these, we're, we're talking today about insurance and, and, and uh, investigations, and I would really like you to tell us a story from your from your uh, various uh, cases. Just give us a, a, a good little brief story, would you, on, from your experience? You know, Mike, I've been involved in hundreds of investigations over the years, both uh, in the public sector and the private sector, and I get asked this question uh, quite often. And immediately, one case, uh, which was the most unusual case that I ever worked on, uh, occurring back in the mid-1980s, and it involved a, uh, a middle-aged woman from here in Connecticut who was a real estate agent uh, who was uh, uh, showing homes that weren't even for sale to people who would likely not be able to afford living in the areas she was showing them the home, portraying them to uh be available to people of uh, minimal means and that a corporation she headed would supplement the purchase of the house. Well, that was all a ruse. She would bilk those individuals for whatever she could get from them, and then she would either burn their home with them in it or the home that she was showing uh, just from the outside as being for sale, and in many cases it was not. The interesting thing is we tracked her for 13 years. We appeared on the um, America's Most Wanted show twice. The Oprah Winfrey show is one of the most interesting cases they've ever portrayed. 
We had her in custody in Panama where she escaped. We think she escaped by hitting the guards over the head with $100 bills. Um, but after the, uh, the second appearance on America's Most Wanted, we received a tip from uh, Palm Beach County, Florida, of an individual whose uh, mother's home was burned, and uh, the um, uh, photograph and the description of her uh, fit perfectly. Uh, we had an FBI set up uh, surveillance uh, in the Miami area, and we uh, were able to apprehend her after 13 years on the run. So uh, it's just an amazing case. It involved a great deal of insurance uh, monies. Um, no one was killed as a result of the fires. Uh, she also said fires in the state of California, and uh, when she was apprehended, she was incarcerated. And unfortunately, I can't tell you the status of her, uh, whether she's a free woman or whether she's still incarcerated to date. Hmm. Well, that that's quite that's quite a story. So, uh, thirteen years is a long time to to chew, to chase well, someone. Well, Mike, I'll tell you, it cost me a free dinner to the FBI agents on the Fugitive Squad because I told them that uh, she was the most elusive, and they'd never get her, and they did. <laughs> Well, and, and you brought up about how this is applicable to insurance and insurance monies. Uh, what really is the insurance industry's role when it comes to fire investigations? That's a great question, Donna. And, and actually, the insurance uh, industry is, is a stakeholder in, in, the entire, in the entire fire business, whether it be a deliberately set fire um, or one caused uh, accidentally or by a product. Um, the other stakeholders are the insureds from those different companies, um, the public safety uh, arena, the police and fire agencies, and the general public. And so the insurance industry certainly has a financial uh, uh, stake in fire investigations. And, um, you know, let's face it, most insurance companies with a very uh, few uh, exceptions are for-profit organizations. So... Um, you know, they need to be keenly aware of the entire fire prevention component as well as um, proper investigations if there is a fire. Do you have any type of a percentage loss estimate of, of what these fires cost? The insurance you know, that's, a, uh, that, that's really a moving target. Um, I know some of the more recent data uh, regarding deliberately set fires indicates that around 25% um, of fires in America are intentionally set. Uh, and that includes uh, juvenile set fires, uh, etc. But uh, I don't have an exact figure, but it's uh, certainly in the billions of dollars. So breaking that down for you and the audience, that would mean 25 cents of every premium dollar you pay is going toward fraudulent type claims. <laughs> Roughly, Roughly. And, yes, and uh, also uh, Joe, because um, because the insurance invest- investigators are out here um, listening too. Um, there's a certain act that uh, that requires the insurance companies to send uh, people uh, that are qualified. What is that? Yeah, I believe you're talking about the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, uh, Mike. Uh, that was yes. um, uh, a law enacted in 2002 and proposed by uh, two United States congressmen, Paul Sarbanes and uh, Michael Oxley. And essentially it was in response to uh, uh, 
uh, to the financial uh, world and some things that were being done that were just inappropriate. And what it does is basically holds accountable corporations to, um, I call it doing the right thing and being aware of every component uh, of their companies. And if I may, as an example, in the fire investigation business, a company really has a fiduciary responsibility to uh, their insureds that when there is a fire, that they retain competent and expert um, uh, vendors, uh, investigators who are going to respond to that fire and determine uh, to the best of their abilities the origin and cause of that fire. Um, What that individual does is going to be the foundation of allowing that insurance carrier to make educated decisions about how to proceed with that loss. In other words, if that investigator finds that that fire was deliberately set and there are indications that the insured might be responsible for setting that fire, well, a decision might be made by that company to deny the claim to that insured. That's an extremely important decision to be made by a company. So the very foundation is that that company has a responsibility to make sure that the individuals they are hiring are competent and capable and that they are providing that company with uh, validated information in order for them to make those informed decisions. And when they do that, um, they have to do some kind of criteria checking, right? Some kind of vetting of, of fire investigators? Well, of course, that would that would be part and parcel to the uh, process of uh, identifying the uh, individual experts from the geographic areas around the country, and that those individuals had the requisite skills, training, and experience to be able to be retained by that company to conduct origin and cause investigations. And uh, on top of that, that the company has a responsibility to give direction to those investigators that go to the field and not minimize um, what those investigators should and shouldn't do at the scene. They should be sent to that scene to conduct a thorough investigation and to report their findings back to the carrier. So that's just making sure that they're sending experts instead of uh, people that are just uh, not totally qualified. You know, anyone can call themselves an expert. Um, it really uh, requires that that company have an operations and procedures manual that spells out the minimum qualifications an individual should have and to vet those, uh, uh, those qualifications acutely before those people are hired to uh, investigate a fire for that carrier. Right, and, and talking about that, I know there's state mandate, well, it's actually all states mandate in-house uh, what we call SIU units, special investigation units. Uh, what's a, Let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. Um, special investigation units for the layperson would essentially be like the detective bureau from a police department. When there is something about a claim that needs to be further investigated, uh, it is generally either entirely turned over or in part turned over to the special investigation unit. Um, generally, those individuals either have a, a pretty extensive amount of expertise within the insurance industry um, or a combination of prior public safety uh, experience 
and uh, experience within that unit. Um, they conduct a traditional type of investigation, sort of a whodunit. Um, and part of that may be to oversee the work of the origin and cause expert. In some cases and in some companies, they actually have on staff uh, origin and cause experts. There are very few of those companies, but they are out there, and there are individuals who work for individual companies, and they provide origin and cause expertise at fire scenes. But traditionally, uh, and the, the more common uh, protocol is to hire an outside, uh, we call an outside vendor, and that person uh, conducts the origin and cause in conjunction with the special investigation and claims unit. Yeah, we're going to have an SIU investigator on in the last segment of this uh, program, uh, Kathleen Navario, and she'll talk about that a little more in in depth. Uh, but you've been on all kinds of wonderful steering committees, and, and you, you actually have assisted many carriers, have you not, Joe, in establishing programs and, and, uh, and getting uh, even outside vendors to, to do the um, vetting of the fire investigators? Is that correct? Yes, I have. Uh, uh, both, uh, you know, in-house with individual companies, and, um, you know, I know there are uh, uh, facilities available for carriers who, uh, you know, might not want to do a vetting process on their own. Uh, they might want to uh, hire someone to do that for them. Um, there is really no one-size-fits-all in this industry. The bottom line is you have to be um, in a position to want to do it right and, in the end, have a product and have individuals that you are retaining um, who would be able to meet any qualification or standard in a courtroom to be able to present expert evidence. Right. And, uh, and so you're, are you still, uh, still doing that, Joe? I mean, are you still available for, for people to get in contact with you to either speak uh, uh, to their companies or to assist them? Absolutely, Mike. In fact, um, I've got several uh, presentations to uh, conduct this year, and uh, the retention of qualified experts is uh, a very, pardon the pun, hot topic today uh, by insurers, and particularly managers, who know that if they hire someone who is not competent and decisions are made that are incorrect, the consequences are grave. And, um, you know, things like Sarbanes-Oxley will hold their feet to the fire to ensure that, um, that they are, again, held accountable. Well, I appreciate that. And I know uh, one more thing is that you're going to be presenting at the uh, – are you not presenting at the International Association of Arson Investigators at the ITC in Las Vegas? Yes, I am. Um, in in no, April? Yes, sir, I am. Uh, with a group, we're going to have a panel discussion that includes insurance uh, professionals, uh, public safety professionals. We have uh, the head of training from the New York City Fire Department. We have the uh, uh, individual in charge of training now for the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. Uh, we have a private origin and cause vendor from New York. And we have an attorney from California who actually uh, prosecuted one of the most famous uh, uh, arson cases in California. Uh, unfortunately, that case involved uh, a fire investigation professional. Uh, mm. That case they actually made a movie out of, and the, uh, it appeared uh, in the movies and uh, have seen it a number of times on TV. Well, I appreciate that. 
Well, I was going to say, Joe, we're going to, uh, I'd like to thank you so much for, for being on with us and talking to us. And I look forward to seeing you in Vegas. I'll be in there and Terrific. listening to what you have to say. Yeah. And I'll Great. be there too. I look forward myself. And I'll thank be there you, too. Mike. And thank you for, for being with us, uh, Joe. And uh, I imagine anybody can contact you if they need to speak to you, okay? Uh, absolutely. be my pleasure, Mike. Okay, thanks a lot. Now, All right, our, thank you. Thank you. And our next segment, we're going to have Randy Watson, who is the, um, who is the chair of the uh, Technical Committee for 921, the uh, Fire and Explosion Investigations Guide uh, put out by NFPA. And, uh, and so he's going to be with us, and uh, he's got a lot of good information for you. He's also a private investigator and um, has been in uh, private investigations for field for a, a number of years. So when, you, when, when we come back, uh, please listen to Randy Watson, and please come back to Speaking of Fire. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. Our experienced, certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. Educational classes and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at fcifire.com or call 913-262-5200. FireAnalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact FireAnalysis.net. That's FireAnalysis.net. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Listening to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to connect at speakingoffire.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Speaking of Fire. Thanks for listening. Hi. So this is Mike again, and I want—I want to tell you, I've, I've luckily in these years of, with in, investigation with uh, International Association of Arson Investigators, I've—I've I've had the opportunity to meet and and become friends with the most wonderful experts in the country, and we have another one with us today, Randy Watson. He's a senior investigator and training coordinator and regional manager of the Atlanta, Georgia office of SEA Limited. 
Um, he has a bachelor's of science degree, and he has been in investigations for I, I don't even know how many years. It, it's uh, not as long as I have because over I know he's got 40 years of experience, but uh, he's not as old as I am, both in the public and private sector. Uh, he's been involved with the National Fire Protection Association Technical Committee for, for Fire Investigations, the NFPA 921 and, um, Guide for Fire and Explosion Investigations in 1991 and, and in January, uh, since 91, and in January of 19, uh, 2008, he has served as a committee chairman um, uh, Randy also serves on the NFPA Technical Committee for Fire Investigation Professional Qualifications, which is 1033, and he's a member of the International Association of Arson Investigators and is currently on their Board of Directors, plus also on the National Association of Fire Investigators Board of Directors. Now, I don't know if there, you can be more qualified than that, so Randy, you've got to have a great story from your career. Please lay it, lay it on us. Well, thanks, Mike and Donna. It's great to be with you, and uh, I think everything that you just said means I'm old. <laughs> so, But, uh, you know, like Joe, I get asked that question a lot, and mine always goes back to one case in South Carolina that I was involved in with the State Fire Marshal's Office, uh, ATF, and this was before ATF had really uh, gotten involved in fire investigation. And it was a restaurant in a small town just down the street from the courthouse that I had eaten in uh, many times. And uh, there was a fire, and we all came in and started working together. And the, we found so much evidence that was unique to someone that had keys that has, had knowledge of the building. Uh, we found the timer that they had used and were able to trace the timer to being purchased in a specific store, which was in a mall across the hallway from a kiosk that the owner's wife ran. Hmm. And this ended up being a federal investigation. The owner was charged federally and was ultimately prosecuted and sent to jail. But the thing that uh, was uh, interesting to me was here you had the insurance private investigator, you had someone with the state, you had someone federally, and then you had the local fire officials that processed the scene, each did their own investigation, but ultimately through hard work, the person that set the fire, which was the owner, was prosecuted and went to jail. So you guys were doing actually uh, separate but parallel investigations, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Everybody was doing their own investigation, but because of Freedom of Information Act and because of subpoenas and all of that, uh, the federal government was able to obtain all of the documents that the insurance carrier had, and that assisted them in ultimately prosecuting the owner. Interesting. I wanted to ask you, because of your experience, and, and you are the most qualified uh, person that I know, and by the way, 
Uh, you told me you had just gotten your 10-year pin from the IAAI. I don't know what all this 40-year business is. So. Well, uh, <laughs> actually, Donna, last, uh, I've been a member of IAAI for this year will be 33. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so you're coming up on a pin, another pin. Yeah. Yeah, won't be I long. I got more than you do. <laughs> well, you're, you're, you're older than me. So. Oh, I was going to say, he has more than anyone no, does, no, actually. No, Tom so. Fee. Oh. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, what, it, what have you seen? What's the most significant change in the profession? What's, what's changed the profession the most? Well, that's a simple question. And uh, I know Jamie Novak made the same comment uh, last week. But... You know, I went to my first fire in 1977, and there's no question that 1992 changed the world of fire investigation when the first edition of NFPA 921 came out and pretty well turned the fire investigation community on its head. And for our listeners, NFPA is? Uh, NFPA is the National Association or National Fire Protection Association, and of course, 921 is the guide for fire and explosion investigation. And there's been an addition every three years since 1992, with the 2017 edition coming out uh, and being available in March. Right, and in that is that association is what sets standards uh, for fire departments, and that is who the fire service. In uh, a, a standard being different than a guide is they will uh, in with 921, uh, and that's something you listeners understand is a guide is different than a standard. Absolutely, uh, NFPA has over 300 guides and standards, and the primary difference is in a standard, it will say you shall do X. In 921, because it's a guide in NFPA, we can't use the word shall, so we have to use the word should. That's the big difference. Right, and and, uh, and standards can also be adopted into law, right? So a lot of the uh, a lot of the standards are, are actually adopted in law in different jurisdictions, correct? Uh, yes, they're they're written in a language that can be adopted formally by, you know, uh, authorities having jurisdiction and local governments. Whereas 921 is not really appropriate for being adopted in the law, however, it's being adopted by the courts. Right. Yeah, there's been a lot of adjudication and recognizing it as a uh, an authoritative text. I understand. Now, the insurance industry. You've been involved in the, in the private sector for a number of years, correct? Yeah, I uh, crossed over to the to the private sector side in 1983. And I've been on the private sector side for going on 34 years now. Right. And, and so the insurance industry is also using 921, correct? Yes. The insurance industry, as Joe was just talking about, is using 921 really in, in two, two ways. Uh, the first, they're using it as a tool to vet experts, to uh, test experts, to see if the expert knows uh, what 921 says, they're, they're familiar with the scientific method and they're following it. And the second way they're using it, and I was just on a phone call earlier this week involving this next topic, was to evaluate existing cases. 
when an expert provides them with their report, their information, they can compare that and vet that case in comparison with 921 to see are they following the principles in, that are laid out in 921. Yeah, and I'm I'm uh, also old enough to speak to this. In the beginning, uh, when 921 came out, I I actually personally, uh, as a fire investigator, took exception to it. I'm going to say that we uh, I pushed against it initially, and it was because of things like this. Back in those days, which would have been what 1991, 92. I face that's how old I am. Anyway, back in those days, uh, the use of, you know, somebody saying an arrow pattern versus a V pattern uh, and it becoming, it sounded like it was something that was going to be forced on us. I was sitting back going and it opened up the, the idea that what goes on in the state of Kansas, for example, is much different than what goes on in the state of New York. And so... Talk, let's talk about that a little bit, Randy. What about the myths? Because there were there were things then that are different now. Yeah, and not only that, but it's been accepted uh, not only by Donna but everyone oh, uh, since yeah, then. Uh, yeah, since <laughs> then, because uh, because of all the the wonderful stuff that it has in it, like the the adoption of the scientific method uh, for fire investigators, or the publication, it's always been out there. Uh, I want to say one thing, and you, I know you want to address this, Randy. Uh, physics hasn't changed. The the uh, the research is what's really uh, going on. Is that correct? Absolutely. Uh, you know, as Donna Donna wasn't by herself in being upset about nine twenty one. She was more in the majority than the minority. But to give an example, when I went to the National Fire Academy in nineteen eighty, it was a three week class, and they taught us all of these things like clean and crazed glass and burn through to the floor and spalling to the concrete and all of these different things that were at that time absolutely certain that it was an arson fire. <laughs> then, and like you said, Mike, research, uh, the physics hadn't changed, but we began to do research and question all of those things that we thought were correct. And as the research developed and we tested those, we began to understand that what we thought was causing these things was not correct. And that is where things began to change. When we really started embracing science and the scientific method in fire investigation versus the old days when you and I started, of basically it was anecdotal training and it was just handed down from the oldest guy to the next guy. Right, on-the-job, sort of on-the-job training. I remember all that training, too. Well, so where, and we know this is evolution, where do you see our future going? Well, I think the future is additional research. Uh, I think one thing that's going to impact uh, fire investigation is the, commonly referred to as the OSAC committee, the Organization of Scientific Area Committees that's uh, sponsored by the Department of Justice and the National Institute of Standards and Testing, uh, that they have recognized and developed this committee to push documents to a registry. 921 was the first guide to be recognized, 
and then 1033 has also been recognized. And these two documents being on there and the forensic community pushing is going to force more and more research uh, into what we have always believed uh, and question that. So I think we're going to see a lot more research with ventilation, with electrical activity and fires. And uh, so there's going to be a lot of things coming in the future with the science. I think we're going to see a lot more in processes as well. Well, and, and of course, the, not only 921, uh, 1033 has the 16 things that uh, that fire investigators have to be uh, cognizant of and and uh, keep in uh, most currently. And uh, and the IAAI is uh, is training on those uh, 16 things. Um, and I I know you go all over the country, don't you? Uh, training about uh, 921 and 1033. Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, in December, I was in uh, India uh, <laughs> doing some training uh, with uh, some uh, safety and security people for the Bank of India uh, that was sponsored by UL and did some test burns. Uh, and we're seeing it used, uh, I've spoken a couple of times in the UK, but we're seeing 921 especially being used all over the world. And uh, 1033 here in the United States with the 16 topics and all the job performance requirements that are listed in there uh, is being used more and more uh, in the courts and evaluating of experts. Oh, fantastic. I really think this is a great, uh, this is a great uh, development. And uh, also, you're even coming out to the Kansas City Arson Task Force, I think, uh, in the next couple of months, aren't you, at their seminar? Yes, they're they're due. Uh, they're having a uh, seminar in March, and so uh, looking to be out there. And usually, when a new edition of the document comes out, there's a lot of classes going on. The uh, International Association of Arson Investigators. We've developed a one-day class uh, on 921 and 1033, and the changes and updates that will be going on be all over the country. So they're starting to schedule those now. And I want to say I, I did I didn't follow up with that comment before that I am 100 percent behind 921 and 1033. I have watched and myself included everyone uh, learn and evolve with that document and with all that input. And don't you love technology? Because really, back in the early 90s. It was hit and miss that we even had internet, so it, it really was whatever what was going on in one state compared to another wasn't known until we met once a year. Uh, you're 100% right, Donna. We weren't communicating the knowledge we had. Uh, the Kansas area may have done some test burns and learned something, but no one else knew it. And now with all the technology we've got available to us and through radio shows like yours and the CFI trainer uh, that IAAI have, we're able to communicate that knowledge to a much broader audience and get it all around the world. I want to thank you for all your contributions uh, and leading this uh, technical committee. Uh, Randy, you deserve a lot of credit. And I know you're still out there doing fire investigations. So we're both of us, we're not that old that we can't go out there and throw some ashes, right? Yeah, still, still out there. Uh, 
doing investigations because it's a continual learning process. We keep keep learning as we go. That's right. It's the only people that fall behind are the people that quit reading. And uh, and and uh, you're going to be uh, at uh, the IAAI uh, International Training Conference in uh, in Las Vegas, are you not? Oh, absolutely. As a member of the board of directors, they would kind of frown on it if I wasn't there. So yeah, well, I was wondering, are you presenting this year? No, I'm not uh, presenting, but uh, Joe Sisniak will be presenting an update on 921, who's on the 921 committee uh, at that conference. So, Well, and I'll see you in March. Thanks so much, Randy. And I'll see you in March at the, uh, at the Arson Task Force, the Kansas City Arson Task Force. You're going to love the hotel, brand new hotel, too. So, <laughs> All right, great. Look forward to it. Oh, thanks again for being a guest. Um, and, uh, and people can still contact you through SCA Limited, correct? Absolutely. We're, they can contact me through the website and uh, always willing to talk to people about any questions they've got. Okay, thanks a lot. Uh, thanks for being here. Um, and now we're going to uh, go to a short break. Um, w- please come back because we have Kathleen Alvario, uh, who has many years' experience as a Special Investigations Unit uh, investigator, and she will give you uh, her insight into Special Investigations Units. Thank you for joining us. Please come back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. Our experienced, certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. Educational classes and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at fcifire.com or call 913-262-5200. Fireanalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact FireAnalysis.net. That's FireAnalysis.net. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to connect at speakingoffire.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Speaking of Fire. Thanks for listening. Yes, and we are honored to have a, a, a 
person from SIU, Special Investigations Unit, uh, Kathleen Alverio, who has over 20 years experience for handling investigations, complex fraudulent insurance claims, data analysis, development of facts and evidence. She's she's coordinated claim triages for uh, investigators and and outside contacts and, and worked with the National Crime uh, um, Insurance Crime Bureau on various law enforcement agencies uh, assisting in investigations. And she's been particularly effective in increasing fraud awareness uh, with solid investigations resulting in the de- uh, deterring of uh, financial risk and saving millions in uh, in bogus claims. Um, she's also helped uh, set up live burn demonstrations, live auto accidents, panels of experts, guest speakers, and has served on the board of the uh, Iowa chapter of the internet and and uh, Nebraska chapters, the International Association of Arson Investigators. Um, I'm sorry, in a, a special investigations unit. Sorry, I'm so used to saying that. Uh, Kathleen, welcome. Thank you. And uh, we appreciate your being here. Um, I know that I've, uh, I've asked you uh, to, to be here. Donna wants to say something. I just want to say something, which is girl power, go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for everything you've done. I've been in the trenches with you, although we've not personally met face-to-face. But uh, I, I just wanted to say, you know, thanks for helping break that glass ceiling. Well, thank you. Yeah, so we need a lot more women involved in fire investigations, both in but both in the field and in uh, and in investigations units. Uh, can you tell us uh, from your experience? Um, can you give us a, a kind of a story uh, to start off uh, that out of your experience? Well, the, the the real quick case, which was fairly simple to solve as an arson, was the case where the insured was seen leaving her house and got in her car and drove and waved to the guy driving the garbage truck. Her windows were already broken out from the fire, and black smoke was billowing into the air. It was rather comical. Um, But she wasn't aware that um, she would get pegged for arson on that situation. Um, But we've had other more complex cases where the insured failed to disclose several prior fire total losses on their application for insurance. I guess they didn't think we would find out about the claims. Um, The fire loss that I investigated for her, as soon as we went out to the scene, neighbors and family members came through and gave us information about her whole history, Um, and that was the first time we were out at the loss site. So um, we had our expert conduct a sift of contents, and we found the house was virtually empty, even though it was complete total burn. Uh, It went to the ground. Um, There were a fewer larger items like beds, dressers, tables, Um, In our routine investigation, we uncovered she actually had a storage facility on the other side of the state. Uh, The state fire marshal obtained legal access to get into the storage shed, photographed the items that she had claimed had all burned in the fire. So um, in her examination under oath, when she was asked, why did you claim three king-size beds had burned in the fire, we were able to prove one was a twin, one was a full-size bed, and the third was a queen, and Without batting an eyelash, she looked at our attorney and said, it must have shrunk. <laughs> oh! So, yeah, so, you know, she realized that she was being investigated, so she sold all of her items in her storage facility to an undercover fire marshal. Um, oh, and they were able to use those items as direct evidence against her at trial. So, Well, I only um, want to say two things about that. One is fire, fire doesn't follow you around like a dog. 
number one. And the other one is she believed that myth that, that people believe that everything is burned up uh, in a fire. And it, it actually burns itself into the scene, actually. Yeah. And that's what is, people do not understand is we are going to ask about your items. And, and we're going to ask for pictures and all of those things. So if you and I've had fires also, Kathleen, where they they actually switched out. They went to garage sales, got junk and put it in the house thinking they were you know, being savvy. And, but we were able to backtrack and find those sales and in a $5,000 cherry dresser compared to a $50 is going to burn different, not, and it's going to look different. So, (laughs) and sometimes it doesn't all completely burn because I too had a criminal trial where um, the insureds did just that. They changed out the items in their house and they had the person on the witness stand explaining, yeah, he traded me his nice leather couch for our, you know, some of their cheaper quality stuff because the guy owed him money. That's it. You know, um, uh, a lot of people don't understand uh, that the follow-up that's going to be done. Um, Do you, as an SIU uh, investigator, uh, go and examine uh, fire scenes yourself, or or what do you do? Well, every carrier is different on how that would happen. Um, At the carrier I worked, um, I would handle the entire country, and so we would contact known experts in the field, and we would have them go out to the scenes. Some carriers would send their local adjusters or even local SIU company representatives out to investigate. So it's it's a case by case situation, Mike. Yeah. Well, thank you. I I, I realized that uh, some of the um, SIU investigators uh, have have a or some of the companies have a vetting process, but other other ones rely on. Uh, other outside companies to do vetting for them and then supply them with the with the expert. Is that correct? And 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 also they do have to be certified. Is that correct? Certified that is, fire industry. Yes, that is correct. And and you and you used those people, did you not? Yes, we did. And we would go over the reports. And if information we still had questions, we would still contact the experts. Um, that's correct. Mm-hmm. How are claims handled when the insured is involved in an arson fire? Um, they're actually handled the same way they were if they weren't in, if it wasn't an arson fire, such as they will still ask for statements, they will still ask for the itemization, but once they, you know, they would ask for what they had for an inventory, but once they learn arson, was involved with the fire, they might ask additional questions relating on to the circumstances of the case. Um, so they, they might get more information, where were you? You know, they might find out if there was a reason for the insured to actually have caused the fire. Um, you'd look for motive. You'd look for opportunity. And I want to clarify to listeners that uh, arson is a crime, Incendiary is the word for a an, an intentionally set fire, and so with insurance companies, uh, they're dealing with incendiary fire. So it's it's not something, Kathleen, that you're going to walk in and and use the word arson. That that is correct. 
Yeah, and and I know that, and I know that you want to speak to this because it's very important that the listeners understand this. Uh, that when a fire occurs, there's there's more than impact just just to uh, the the homeowner or the or the apartment dweller. There's a lot more. You want to talk about that. Um, this is something that people often forget when they think that they are so far behind in their debt, and this is their answer. Is is to start a fire and get insurance proceeds, but it affects so many people. With any fire you have, even a legitimate one, you're going to have stress to the spouse, to the kids, to the homeowner's parents, their siblings, neighbors, the community. And then when they find out it's an intentionally set fire and they did it for insurance proceeds, you're going to have disappointment in the individual, anger, frustration, embarrassment once they, you know, family members learn, oh my gosh, my brother set fire to this house. Um, Sometimes kids are blamed for something they did to make it look like it was a kid who set the fire and the guilt those kids have because when they learn that ones who set the fire, um, you know, there's, sometimes kids get a fear of fire, even lighting candles for a birthday cake. It might bother them at that time, you know, anger of losing their belongings. So intentionally fires, you know, and on top of it, it's time-consuming. You know, they're very time-consuming. And if you find out it was intentionally done um, and it was a neighbor, a, a an aunt, uncle, parents, grandparents, you know, other people chipped in to help out and then they learn it was intentionally set, this affects everyone. You know, and people sometimes forget that it's not just the money, but it affects other people, too. And adding to that is as the cost of taxpayer money when when emergency vehicles are used. That's cost of gas, the equipment. Firefighters are at risk. Uh, even you yourself is at risk, Kathleen. You go out to a scene and and you happen to step in something not knowing and, and fall through a floor. I've done it. <laughs> I'm sure you've done it too. Yeah. yeah. And we can get hurt. We can actually get hurt because you, person out there, set a fire. You can actually harm people. Yeah, this, the idea of a victimless crime, uh, you would, uh, if you... We have a couple of minutes left. Uh, would you talk for a second about why why this is not a victimless crime? I mean, you've already talked about a lot of that, uh, but uh, would, can you expound on that a bit? Uh, well, a lot of people are, if somebody intentionally goes out and tries to win the lottery by setting fire to their house just so they can have money to pay off their debts or to buy something, um, insurance companies have to spend time and money on investigation. That as well as pay off a claim that might be fraudulent if they, you know, investigate it, pay a claim that may or may not be fraudulent. The rates go up for everyone. I mean, a lot of people are impacted. You hear statistics on four to $600 per family are paid due to insurance fraud. There are um, state regulations and laws out there that, you know, not only for arson but also for insurance fraud. So um, it impacts a lot of people. Right, and and um, and you, with all your your knowledge, sir, ma'am, uh, you also uh, 
you ought to be proud of yourself for all these these uh, savings that you've you've done in. And, and uh, I just wanted to congratulate you. I know you from, from your career, and uh, I wanted to thank you also for being with us today, because thank you. Uh, I want to, I want to hear. Um, yeah, I like to I like to hear from the audience uh, that uh, that these people are uh, doing their jobs and and also uh, and you brought up something we we talked about for a second, which was the risk. Uh, law enforcement people, firefighters, firefighters responding to the scenes can have heart attacks. They can get hit by semis. They can uh, you know fall through floors. Uh, law enforcement people, same thing. Uh, you saw a law enforcement officer was killed uh, just searching for a for a su- suspect the other day. And, uh, and, and you um, do a, you're, as an SIU investigator, you guys do an important job and contribute to so- our society. And I want to thank you for that. Thank you. And I'm, I'm going to take this opportunity again because I just like that I have a platform for us to say how great it is to have women in this industry. Uh, I've educated many men about the fact that we not only can we do the job, there's some areas of the job that because we're very detail-oriented, we excel. (laughs) So not to put one against the other, but I I just wanted to say thank you for being you. Well, thank you. It is fun. It's it's a fun occupation, and you do see more and more women getting into Mm -hmm. the field. Yes, and uh, one thing I want to say, though, you don't want a woman to interview a woman because um, generally they don't get as good information. You want to interview a man, though, because he'll tell you everything. Is that right? <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> I don't know if there's any scientific evidence against that, Mike. <laughs> I'm going to have to agree. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, just, all right, this only comes from a couple of years' experience. Doing this, yeah, um, but not as a woman. I will uh, take care of this off air, Kathleen. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to do this live. All right. Well, so okay. Well, thanks again for being here. Uh, we we try to have a little bit of fun in this show. Okay. Thank you again, Kathleen. All right. Uh, thanks. Uh, take care. Keep keep in touch and let me know what happens with you, please. All right. We'll do. You take care, Mike. Because thanks. You too, uh, Donna. At, thanks. thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. So not. By Bye-bye. next year, uh, next year, next <laughs> next week, we're having private fire investigators Doug Monty, Kirk Hankins, uh, Kirk's uh, the uh, co-chair of the CFI committee for the International Association of Arson Investigators. Um, they're going to talk about what we talked about earlier today: fire private fire investigators. When you're an expert, what do you do? What are the procedures? They're not going to tell you how to investigate it. They're going to tell you that if you set a fire, we're going to find out. And, and how we have cleared many a person from uh, that they thought did it, and we took care of that. So please join us again next week. Thanks so much, and have a great week. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into Speaking of Fire. Please join your hosts, Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram, for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember to be careful this week and every week.